Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the most striking features of Martin Heidegger's interpretation of Plato's famous allegory of the cave found in Republic Book 7 is his talk about four dwelling places that are being discussed in the allegory. And, and he's focusing on the fact that we not only have these four places, but that we have these very important transitions taking place between them. And there's two things that I think really ought to be said about this. So Heidegger, particularly in his later works, is going to use this language of dwelling. But I think here we want to not worry about his own particular use of that and think about the fact that he's just revealed to us that in Plato and really in general, one of the key features of education is that it involves not just giving us information, not just teaching us certain skills, but as he's put it, accustoming ourselves to a certain way of relating to being so that it can't be rushed. It can't be pushed. You can't life hack it into you know a speedier resolution or anything along those lines. So dwelling really is an important idea here. And these are dwelling places for the, the person who is coming out of the cave and going back into the cave. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing that I think is really interesting is the fact that these dwelling places, these transitions are not exactly what we might expect from Plato's own explanation of the allegory that he provides. For instance, in the third part, we don't see any sort of transition from looking at, you know, reflections of things to looking at the things themselves to finally looking at that which is illuminating all of them. The, in this case, the sun, which is supposed to represent the form of the good. And so you might ask yourself, well, why is Heidegger doing this a little bit differently? And I think that will become clear as we move through these different things. So he tells us the unhidden and its unhiddenness. This is the truth, aletheia, designated at each point what is present and manifest in the region where human beings happen to dwell. And then the allegory, he says, recounts a story of passages from one dwelling place to another. It's divided in a general way, he says, into a series of four different ones in specific gradations of up and down. So he says, the distinctions between the dwelling places and stages are grounded in the different kinds of aletheis, normative at each level. That is the different kinds of truth that are dominant at each stage. So this is a particularly important issue. It's not merely that that we're getting you know, closer to the truth in Heidegger's point of view. It's rather that we're dealing with different conceptions or different attitudes towards truth at each of these stages or in each of these dwelling places. So the transition is a transition from one attitude or conception, or if you like, comportment towards truth into another. So we begin with the first one, and this is the one that is familiar to everybody. All these people are chained in the cave. They see the shadows on the wall in front of them. They cannot see the fire behind them or the, the people, you know, working the marionettes. They're stuck looking straight ahead. And what is the truth 
truth for them, what is being revealed, what is being uh, made manifest. It's the shadows and that's all that they have. So Heidegger says, these people are engrossed in what they immediately encounter. The description of this dwelling place ends with this emphatic sentence, in no way would those who are chained like this ever consider anything else to be the unhidden except the shadows cast by the artifacts. That's the way in which he's translating this platonic passage. And so the, the cave can be a metaphor for the world that we live in, which is the way Plato is depicting it, not only a world that we live in as, you might say, human beings that see everything visibly, but the political and the cultural world that we live in. Until somebody begins to question, we all have the shackles on. That's, that's the point of that. So that's the first stage. That's the first dwelling place. Then he tells us, as we transition to stage two, the chains are removed and these people can turn around. Heidegger lingers on this quite a bit. And this is a very interesting dimension here. Plato actually passes over this fairly quickly. He doesn't tell us that, you know, these people are spending a lot of time looking around, trying to figure out what's what inside of the cave. But Heidegger tells us that the truth here, or the revealing, or as we call it, unhiddenness is the translation here, is that of the visible things, but in the glow of the fire. Heidegger actually draws some other important implications out here that I think do fit the Platonic narrative quite well, but which Plato doesn't discuss in as much detail. He says, the things themselves offer their visible form in a certain way. In the glow of the man-made fire of the cave, they're no longer hidden by the shadows they project. So they're able to see, for example, the marionettes or apparatus or whatever we want to call the things that are casting the shadow. And they can also see the people behind. They can't see this that well, but they can see something there. So there's been a transition, right? And he says, as long as one encounters nothing but shadows, they hold one's gaze captive and insinuate themselves in place of the things themselves. But when one's gaze is freed from its captivity, it becomes possible for the person who's been freed to enter the area of what is more unhidden or alethestera in the Greek, right? What is more truthful, what is more revealing itself, what is more unhidden. And there's two points that Heidegger kind of stresses here that I think are, are quite important. One is that this is still a man-made environment. This is still a thoroughly humanized environment. There's a cave. We don't know how the cave got there, but the cave has been illuminated by fire that people have brought. And the things that were casting the shadows are things that people have been using. The other thing that's important here is that there is a kind of blinding and uncertainty that's going on here. He says that the glow of the fire, which their eyes are not accustomed to, blinds those who have been liberated. This blinding hinders them from seeing the fire itself and apprehending how its glow illuminates the things and lets these appear for the first time. So it takes some being accustomed to dwelling in that area before they can actually realize that there's more to the story than just what they were getting before. They already suspect that there's more going on, but they don't have it distinctly. They are not able to, to grasp it until their eyes become accustomed to the fire. So he says the word aletheis occurs at the end of description of stage two. Now in the comparative degree, alethestera, the more unhidden, the more proper truth is to be found in the shadows. 
So even those, he says, who've been freed from their chains still assess wrongly in what they posit is true because they lack the prior condition for assessing that is freedom. And so this might explain to some degree why Plato does not linger on this dwelling place of the same cave, but now being able to turn around and and look at things. And you might say this is also the realm of those who were casting the shadows, although Heidegger doesn't go into that. Then we have an important transition to what we normally take as being the most important and determinative part of the allegory itself. The world, in this case, the visible world seen as it truly is, which is an allegory for the world of the platonic forms, the world of pure ideas. It says real freedom is only attained in stage three. What happens in stage three? They are led into the open. They're led up into the world. And he says, above ground, all things are manifest. The looks that show what things are no longer appear merely in the man-made and confusing glow of the fire within the cave. There is a better form of illumination, and this is permitting the things to shine forth as what they truly are. It's no longer just a shadow of a tree or a puppet of a tree or, you know, whatever we want to conceive it as. It's an actual tree. And of course, you remember Plato himself says, well, first they kind of look at reflections of the tree or the animal or whatever it happens to be. Then they look at the tree itself. Then finally, they look at the thing that's illuminating it, namely the sun. So he says, above ground, all these things can be seen. The open into which the freed prisoner has now been placed does not mean the unboundedness of some wide open space. Here's a very important point. He says the open sets boundaries to things. One thing is not another thing. The tree is not the bird in the tree, is not the soil that the tree is rooted in, is not the parasitical vine crawling up the tree. We have plenty of grape vines here in the part of Wisconsin where I live, and they they sometimes do that. So he says, the open sets boundaries to things and, and is the binding power characteristic of the brightness radiating from the sunlight, which is also seen. The sunlight is being seen indirectly reflecting off of things, but eventually will be seen by the person looking at the sun. Hopefully not for too long, right? And what is this an allegory of for Plato? Of course, this is the world of the intelligible forms, the world that the people down here don't even suspect is the case, but that which provides the intelligibility to all the shadows and and even the copies of the things that are casting the shadows that have been uh, relied upon. And similarly, the fire is in a certain sense, just a dim reflection of the sun. So he says, this level of dwelling is defined in terms of what is normatively and properly unhidden at this level. So what is the truth? The truth is the visible things. What is unhidden is the actual things as they are in the fullest form of illumination that we can conceive of as they truly are. So he says, this winds up being the whatness of a thing. The most unhidden, he says, shows itself in the whatness of a thing, what it is that the thing actually is, not what it appears to be in the light of the fire, not what it is as a shadow, but what it is as itself. So he says, without such a self-showing of the whatness, 
any and all specific things, in fact, absolutely everything would remain hidden. There would be no truth if this stage were not possible. And remember, Heidegger is talking about this as a dwelling place. This is a place where one would have to accustom oneself. And he, he talks uh, about this some more. He says, within the cave to shift one's gaze from the shadows to the glow of the fire and focus on the things manifest in firelight was a difficult task that proved unsuccessful. Now being freed into the open that's outside of the cave requires fully every bit of endurance and effort. In order to grasp the truth as such, one has to linger with it. This is not something that is given in a flash of insight that one just then has a mystical experience. This is something that is hard won through contemplation and indeed for Plato also through dialectic. So he says liberation doesn't happen from a simple removal of the chains and it doesn't consist in unbridled license. Rather, it begins as the continuous effort of accustoming one's gaze to be fixed on the firm limit of things. So Heidegger will go on and say, authentic liberation is the steadiness of being oriented towards that, which appears in its visible form and which is most unhidden in this appearing. This is what paideia truly is about, education, but it involves grasping the truth of things. Now, here is where Heidegger brings up something that really, you know, all of this has been quite good. This is something that I think really captures something essential to the allegory that otherwise would be missed. Why does the person return into the cave? So in Plato's account of it, the prisoner understandably feels some sort of obligation or sympathy with or towards his fellow prisoners. And he says, I better go back in there and help them out and explain that what they're seeing is just a bunch of puppet shows in the light of a fire. This is amazing stuff. I'd better go help them out. Heidegger construes it in a somewhat different way. He says the essence of paideia, right, consists in this periagoge holes tes psukes, the, the turning around, the, you might say transformation of the entirety of the soul, or he's translated as the human essence. So he says, insofar as it is a turning around, it constantly remains an overcoming of its opposite, apaidousia, the lack of education, the having not been formed, the state of being in the cave, because this entire thing was about paideia coming out of the cave. So in order to maintain paideia, there has to be a return to the cave. So he talks about this. The allegory includes the descent of the freed person into the cave, back to those who are still in chains. How does this go? We know it doesn't turn out very well for them. And Heidegger talks about the return into the cave and a battle waged within the cave between the liberator and the prisoners who re resist all liberation. He says, this makes up the fourth stage of the allegory where the story comes to a conclusion. Now, this is a very interesting idea because of course, Socrates is in, in Plato's terms, the guy who's come out of the cave and in his back in the cave and that's why he's going to get killed by his fellow citizens who are chained there or perhaps, you know, some of the people that are working the puppet shows. We could talk about many other people as occupying similar roles. There's something about being educated that in Plato's sense and in the sense that Heidegger is talking about that necessitates going back to, you might say, the locus of non-education, the locus where the opposite of education is taking place. You might say that if we want to use metaphors, so long as education remains solely within the ivory tower refuge, it's not truly education. And here, 
Heidegger says that truth or aletheia, unhiddenness, is precisely the overcoming of apideusia, of the lack of education, the opposite of education, the privation of education. He says that the story comes to a conclusion. He says, admittedly, the word alethes is no longer used here, but this stage also has to deal with the unhidden that conditions the area of the cave that the free person visits now once again. And then he will go into some very interesting reflections on, on the notion of hiddenness and unhiddenness. So what we see here is also a parallel between paideia and apideusia, along with aletheia, and its opposite, which in this case is not hopsudos, the lie, but rather lethe, forgetfulness, being covered, something like that. So we have these four dwelling places and the entire allegory is a sequence of movement that takes us back into the cave ultimately, but in a transformed fashion. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>